again, shall we? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the wonderful truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks, O God, that He came, born into this world, the Son of Man to be the Savior of His people, the Son of God to be with His people. And Father, as we read the Scriptures and we look at our own lives and our own circumstances, we can see how so many have responded to this great gift. Some in scorn and despising have turned away in disgust. Some in religious acceptance have come and worshipped occasionally, made some offering with their voices, but not with their hearts. And some, Father, have come like these magi, knowing something of him, and have come and have seen and have fallen on their faces before him in absolute humility and have gone away absolutely changed. Father, we pray this morning that as we again consider the Lord Jesus Christ, we consider his birth. Father, we pray that we would give thought and consideration to how we have responded to the Lord Jesus Father, we pray this morning that you would work in our hearts, each of us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would humble us before you. Father, we would realize our absolute and desperate need of a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would bow the knee. We would humble ourselves and declare that he is Lord. Father, we ask you for your help this morning. And we do so in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. The Magi's response to the gift of Christ at Christmas was four things. Costly faith, exceeding joy, genuine worship, and great sacrifice. And I'm going to add one more thing because it's just kept coming back over and over this morning as I've been reviewing my sermon. Humility. They responded in great humility. What's our response? We all get gifts, don't we? And I think I mentioned a few weeks ago the different kinds of gifts we get. Some we like and some we don't. Some we never thought of ahead of time, but, you know, when we get them, it's pretty cool to get them. And sometimes we just look with, uh, and we sort of shrug and turn away. How have we responded to the greatest gift of all? The gift of the Lord Jesus. Why are we looking at the story of these magi? Well, let's start by looking at the context of the whole story. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew has presented Jesus, the Christ, his ancestry and birth as the son of Abraham to bless all the nations. He is the son of David, the king over all kings. He is the legal son of Joseph, the legal heir of David's throne, and he is the son of man. As we saw yesterday, born to save his people. He is the Son of God, come to be God with us. And in both Matthew and Luke's gospel accounts, Mary has conceived a child in her womb by the Holy Spirit. She's carried him to full term. She's given birth to Jesus in great pain. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14, we saw there how an angel announced good news to shepherds, saying, 
Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, uh, cloths and lying in a manger. And a multitude of the heavenly host had appeared in the night sky, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. In Luke 2, verses 15 to 20, the shepherds have obediently gone and found and seen Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger as it was told them. And they returned, the Bible says, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. And now, likely more than a year has passed Jesus is now a small child living in a house in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph, and the Magi have come seeking to worship him. So the question is, who are these Magi? Well, according to a fellow named Herodotus, who was a Greek historian, the Magi were a priestly caste of Medes who acted as priests in the Persian religion of Zoroastrianism. The Magi were partly responsible for religious life in Persia. They advised the royal courts of the Persians and other nations, and they interpreted dreams. Some speculate that Daniel the prophet was included among the Magi in the Persian courts, and that it was through Daniel that they had learned of the Messiah. And that certainly fits with what we do know about them. They were astrologers believing the events of history were reflected in the movement of the stars and heavenly bodies, the Magi were clearly concerned with what this star might signify for future world events. And hence their great interest in the star's appearance, signifying the birth of a new ruler of great importance. What's the Bible say about them? They saw the Messiah's star and came to worship. They learned where the child was born. They were sent on their way by Herod. They saw the star again and rejoiced with exceeding joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with Mary and fell to the ground and worshipped him, presenting their gifts to him. And then in verse 12, we read that they were warned by God in a dream to depart another way. And the Bible never mentions them again. So why did Matthew include them? Why are we taking this precious time on Christmas morning to think about these magi? Well, first, through the magi's visit, the the identity of the child is revealed to us as the long-expected royal Messiah of Israel. The appearance of the star could be seen as fulfillment of Balaam's messianic prophecy in Numbers 24, 17, which says, A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel. Secondly, the inquiry of the Magi and the answers given indicates that Jesus is the messianic fulfillment of Micah 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Judah, or Bethlehem Ephrathah, sorry, too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth is from long ago, from the days of eternity. Jesus came from eternity to be the ruler of his people. And thirdly, the Magi's faith and search, their joy, their worship and gifts, establish that Jesus' coming and Messiahship has meaning for both Jews and Gentiles. It's a theme that's repeated throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Fourthly, the Magi's considerable faith, their costly actions, 
foreshadow the response of other Gentiles, and way off in the future, it foreshadows Jesus' great commission to send us out to all the nations to make known the gospel. Matthew 8, verse 10, the Bible says, speaking about those Gentiles, when Jesus heard the Roman centurion's words, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. The great faith of the Magi foreshadowed this Roman centurion's faith in the story. In Matthew 15, verse 28, Jesus is talking to a Canaanite woman who is asking about the healing of her daughter. And finally, he says to her, Oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. The Magi's great faith foreshadowed in Matthew's gospel this other woman's faith. And the Magi's coming foreshadows, as we said, Jesus' commission to take the gospel to all the nations. But those are interesting reasons, but this is to me the most important reason for us today. The Magi's response serves as a challenge to us as to how we respond to the coming and the gift of Christ at Christmas. Their response, as I said a few moments ago, was costly faith, great humility, genuine worship, exceeding joy, and great sacrifice. So first of all, the Magi responded in costly faith. Based on what knowledge they had, they acted in faith. How much did the Magi know and understand? It's an interesting question, isn't it? They knew of the Jews' expectation of a Messiah because they came. They talked about the Messiah. They knew of something of the place because they came to Israel and Judea. They went to Jerusalem because that's where the kings were in in the Israel, among the Jews. They knew that this king was no ordinary king, and they saw the star as confirmation of their knowledge. Knowing what they did, they acted in costly faith. They believed what information and knowledge they had about him. They traveled a great distance, and that would have been a costly exercise just coming that distance. They eagerly inquired to know more about this Messiah. They searched and found and entered his house, and they humbled themselves. I mentioned a moment ago, but it's the one scene that just keeps bouncing back into my mind. These elderly men... Wise men, wealthy men, from what we can see here, coming into the house and seeing Jesus, and they fell on their faces before him. They humbled themselves before this small child in worship. Then they presented their expensive gifts. But the point is this. How much they knew is far less significant than how they responded to what they knew. It was faith and it was humility. Knowledge of God must bring faith and humility. The great danger of great knowledge is it brings great arrogance and great pride. Even Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians. But these men, when their knowledge turned to sight, their, their faith gave way to sight in that moment. They saw the child and they, I think they just dropped to the ground in worship before him. Knowledge of God must bring faith and humility. We know who Jesus truly is. We have the completed scriptures. Most of us have a good understanding, a good theological basis of what the whole Christian faith is all about. He is the Son of God, truly God and truly man. He is the Savior of the world. 
We know what Jesus has truly done. They didn't know all those details, and yet they acted in a costly faith. We know that Jesus existed in eternity past. We know he was born, he lived, he ministered, he suffered and died and rose again to save his people from their sins. But the question for us is, how are we responding to what we do know? They acted in costly faith with great humility. Secondly, the Magi responded in genuine worship. Worship is the adoration and praise of God. Worship is to ascribe to him the value and worth due to him. Worship is inspired by God's greatness and goodness, and it includes a recognition of one's own, our own dependence on God. Brothers and sisters, they responded in genuine worship. The multitudes of these magi, there was probably many more than three, They acted in faith to approach the Christ child. They rejoiced with great joy as they drew near. They humbled themselves by falling down before him. And that sort of abject humility is an expression of adoration. It certainly ascribed to Jesus the value and worth due to him. David said it in Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite spirit. They worshipped And he received their worship. Mary and Joseph, knowing this child, knowing who he really is, did not stop them from worshiping. Based on what little they knew of this child, they acted in costly faith, great humility, and genuine worship. And as as I was sitting there writing these words in my computer, you know, immediately a sense of shame fell in. Considering how much we know of God, of his works of creation and providence and salvation, how much more humble and more costly our worship ought to be. Amen? Yeah. Thirdly, the Magi responded with costly sacrifice. They had brought with them considerable treasures, and they opened and presented to him these gifts. The three gifts ascribe to him the value and worth of his person, particularly in view of all the works that he will do. Christ is the spirit-filled, anointed son of David, the king, and the gold they presented to him reflected and honored that position as king of kings and lord of lords. Christ is the spirit-filled, anointed high priest, and the frankincense that they gave to him, presented to him, reflected that position as high priest. You say, how is that? Well, frankincense was a very key ingredient in the anointing oil that was poured over the high priest's head. It was a recognition that this one is the high priest that represents us to God. And Christ is the sacrifice in death that he himself offered for the sin of his people. And the myrrh given to him is the spice that's used to prepare bodies for burial. And it reflects some points to that future work. And it just occurred to me as Mary is standing there. And no doubt Mary is like that uh, kind and, and caring mother. And she's taking the gifts and putting them around. And, and, and she's, you know, because a little child is not able to pick them up or anything. And I wonder as she sat there and somebody said, here is myrrh. And you could have almost sensed that, ooh, stop. It's myrrh. 
One day they're going, one day Mary will take Jesus' body down from the cross with the others and they will bring spices to pack around his body. I wonder in that moment if she didn't see that myrrh and suddenly realize what the Savior of his people would mean for this precious little child that she has. The gold was wonderful. The frankincense was really fragrant. It was good. But the myrrh was a shocking reminder that Jesus was born to die for his people. Beloved, they gave their best treasures. They gave their greatest gifts to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in his birth. And the question that comes to my mind is how much do we value our Lord Jesus Christ? How highly do we value the one who came to suffer and die for us? God does not want our money anywhere near as much as he wants the whole of our lives. God desires each of us this morning to come and see Jesus the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. But you know, as I thought about those gifts, and I I was just rattling around my head on, uh, I think it was Friday afternoon, thinking about this. Those gifts reflect something of the work of Christ, but I think there's more to those gifts than just that. Those gifts reflect their own commitment and allegiance to Christ. When a conquered king has relations with the conquered people, those conquered people bring gifts of tribute and, and to show their allegiance to that king that has conquered them. So just as the conquered gift king gives tributes to the conquering king, so they gave their gold to Christ to say, you are our king, our greatest treasure. And just as a conquered king received, a conquering king receives tributes, they gave their frankincense to him to say, you are our priest, our representative before God. They displayed their great and high estimation of Christ. They gave their myrrh to say, you are our sacrifice to die in our place. They were doing more than just tributing a great king. They were showing their allegiance to him by giving him their all. God does not want our money anywhere near as much as he wants the whole of our lives. And brothers and sisters in Christ, what frightens me is when we look at the Western culture we're in and you see how wealthy we are. We have, more, we, what do we have? 5% of the world's people owns 90% of the world's wealth. We're in that 5%. And the great question for me as I look at the Christian faith and I think about Christmas, and I think about all of our faith, what it all means is how much does my life reflect and display my love for Christ? How much does my life reflect and display a commitment and allegiance to the one who gave everything, who left the heights of heaven's glory to be born in a stable, wrapped in cloths and laid in a manger, to be ignored and rejected and cast away by his people, to be handed over to be the savior of the world, to die on a cross alone and forsaken that he might reconcile us to God. I'm going to say it again. God does not want our money, our things, anywhere near as much as he wants the whole of our lives. 
for his glory. God desires each of us this Christmas morning to come and see Jesus the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. He wants us to come and see Jesus, the Savior of his people, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to come and inquire about him, inquire of him to know more about him. Just as much as a young man wants to know much about his beloved wife, his chosen bride, he inquires and strives to learn as much as he can about her. So, in a similar sense, God desires that we would come and learn much of Christ that our lives might be lived for his glory, to come, and again, to humble ourselves before him, to come and worship him based on however much we know, to come and sacrifice our lives in submission to him, for he truly is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Son of Man to save his people, and the Son of God come to be with his people. What a great Savior we have this morning. Amen? Amen. How are you responding? What's your response to Christ this Sunday morning, this Christmas morning on Monday? I hope and I pray that it's like those Magi who came, who saw, who humbled themselves, worshipped the Lord, and gave him their all. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer, please? Loving Father in heaven, again, we give thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that in him we indeed have a Savior. Father, we thank you that though you once were angry with us, your anger is turned away and you comfort us because the Lord Jesus Christ has turned away your anger from us. He has absorbed it all, exhausted it, and removed it from us. Father, we give thanks that we are able even to call you that precious name, Father, to know that he indeed is our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Father, we give thanks this morning that he is the Prince who made peace, who reconciled us to yourself through his suffering on the cross. And Father, we give thanks, we praise you, O God, that he is indeed the Son of God who came to be with his people. Father, we thank you and we praise you that we go through this life as Christians walking before you, filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, for those who are standing here this morning that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, Father, I cry out to you, I plead with you, O God, that you'd open their eyes to see, help them to understand who the Savior is and their desperate need of him. Father, we thank you for one who died for us. And Father, we thank you for the hope we have because of him. Father, as we go through this day of celebrating and enjoying food and family and fellowship, Father, we pray that we would not forget, we would not lose sight of those three men, many more probably, in humility, on the ground before him, giving him their all. Father, may we each be challenged to do just the same. And we ask you these things, Father, in the precious name 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.